The Money Show. Shapeshifters. Tonight's shapeshifters, Osman Arby, the chief executive officer of Motus. Motus used to be part of Imperial, which was then split into uh, the logistics business and the motor business um, of of the old Imperial. Uh, and you spent most of your life, Osman, in, in audits before joining uh, the legendary Bill Lynch uh, at uh, at Imperial in those days. Good evening, Bruce, and good evening to your listeners here. Yeah, you're quite right. I spent 23 years of my life at what we call Deloitte's now. In those days, it was Deloitte, Haskins, and Sol. So I served 23 years there. One of my clients was Imperial. And after serving as audit partner for five years, I had a call from Mr. Lynch to say he'd like to talk to me over a cup of tea. And uh, and I said in the uh, having my tea, and he said, I'm looking for a black CA. So I said, why don't you make me an offer I can't refuse? And I'll look at it. And I was joking, and he had a dry Irish sense of humor. And he said, uh, come back next week, Monday at 4 o'clock, and uh, let's talk about it. And I didn't think much of that. And when I went next Monday at 4 o'clock, there was a piece of paper uh, typed by the CFO to say, this is your job, this is your first year salary, this is the job title, and the job is what you make of it. That was my job description. <laughs> and 17 years later, I'm still there, so I'm not complaining. Oh, it's a lovely story. But Bill Lynch, I, I had very little interaction with Bill Lynch, and I, 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 I deeply regret it. I really do. Uh, because uh, the few times I did chat to him, the few times I met him, he just did, he was. He was a wry Irishman, um, wicked sense of humor, but an extraordinarily astute businessman. I mean, the origins of the entire Imperial Group started with a, was it a second-hand car dealership or was it a, a, a new car dealership? probably in Hillbrow, Berea, somewhere around there, wasn't it? It was closer to central Johannesburg in May Street in 1947 with one used car outlet uh, by the Percy Abelkop and his family. And uh, in uh, in the 70s, Bill Lynch had just completed, uh, he has left Ireland, and Ireland was going through a very difficult period in those years, and he came to South Africa, and he walked into a dealership, and said to Percy, I'm looking for a job. And Percy told him, we don't have a job. But he said, okay, I'll sell cars for you. Pay me on a commission basis. And if I don't sell, you don't pay me. And that's how he got into the motor vehicle business. And Percy, being a very astute businessman, after a while saw potential in Bill. And then Bill became the accountant of their family business. And then Bill was given leeway to grow the business, uh, acquiring... uh, businesses and things like that, and then um, ultimately listed the business in 1988 called Imperial and uh, then started that journey with developing a motor business, a logistics business, a tourism business, a leasing business, uh, an airline business. Today, what you would call FlySafe Air, Air was part of the Imperial group. So he built a conglomerate of companies uh, from a dealership business, basically, and uh, using the proceeds from the listing. So, uh, you know, here's a guy who came with no qualifications from Ireland, worked in the dealership to sell cars, and ultimately was the CEO of a large corporate listed entity, which is a fantastic achievement.
I mean, we're here to talk about you, not about him, but thank you for sharing that lovely piece of history. And I, I'm always fascinated by the decisions that business leaders make and when they make them. And you look at the origins, for example, of Bidvest and Nando's. And now I can add Imperial to my list uh, because listing in 1988. I mean, what a ca- catastrophic time for the South African economy. South Africa, of course, was in the, the, the dying stages of apartheid, not that necessarily it knew it at the time. P.W. Boeta was holding on for everything that he was worth. Um, we defaulted on our debts in 1987. We'd had a debt standstill. We were deeper in junk than we are today. Uh, and people look at our, our environment today, and it is tough and it's horrible, and we, we've been through a scary period recently. But I go back to those days, and I, I wonder what must have been going through those guys' minds as they said, okay, now's the time to invest, and now's the time to grow, it must have been a much tougher time. I think fortunately at that time, remember people like Brian Joffe and Bill Lynch had the backing of uh, the Sunlums of the world, the old mutuals of the world. But remember, they're collecting cash every day and they needed to find homes for their investments. And in those days, uh, there were restrictions as to how much you could send out of the country. So they invested a lot of their money locally and uh, one of the big shareholders of Imperial at that time was uh, Sun Laminol Mutual. So they provided a lot of funding and that helped the growth uh, of Imperial uh, to all these diverse businesses that uh, we ultimately yeah. unbundled. It was the period of the conglomerate. Now listen, back to you. You are born in Dulstrom in Mpumalanga, around the corner from where Mark Barnes was born, uh, of course. Um, and as a young Indian boy growing up in in, um, in in Dulstrom, you had to go to Mark Barnes's hometown of Belfast to go to to boarding school uh, as a youngster. That sounds like quite a tough, quite a tough um, sort of upbringing. It was because remember you're six years old. You don't go home every day to go be with parents. So you live with a family uh, 35 kilometers away. You go on a Monday morning and you come back on a Friday evening. You spend the weekend with the family and then you do the track again uh, because there were no Indian schools in Dalstrom and the closest was Belfast. And that's how I landed up there from uh, grade one to standard six in those days. And then ultimately, now we have to think of high school and the only a boarding school that we had in those days for Indians was in Standerton. And I landed up in Standerton for my high school days. And I finished there in um, 1976, the famous 1976. I finished my schooling there. And then I couldn't get into WITS or UCT or any of the universities. I could only go to a so-called Indian university, which was Durban Westville in those days. And I started my career, my studying there in 1977 with a Bachelor of Accounting degree. So, uh, yeah, it was a long way from home. I left in grade one and actually never went back because um, after my studies in Durban in 81, I finished off my studies. I did a five-year BAC degree. And in 1982, I was very privileged that I could join Deloitte Haskins and Sells, which at that time in 1982 was the only big five audit firm. You remember in those days there were five, not four and three. There were five audit firms and we were very privileged that Deloitte and Touche started hiring people of color. And we were a number of us that got into articles with Deloitte, with one of the big firms. And uh, that was my journey for 23 years as a senior audit manager and partner for most of my life at, uh, at Deloitte, where the experience 
the clients and the interaction with staff was fantastic. But I mean, it feels in some respects like a million years ago, and I'm sure in your mind, just like yesterday, the levels of discrimination, the limits on choice, the restrictions on movement, the the very basic human rights that we take for granted today just denied the vast majority of South Africans at the time. Yeah, it, you know, it, when I tell my children about it, they think it's a joke because they grew up in a very different environment. But uh, the scars of the past were there. Uh, I mean, in those days, I used to go by train from uh, Standerton to Durban, and there was only one second-class coach that used to travel from Joburg to Durban. And uh, sometimes, you, because you come in Standerton and not Johannesburg, you don't get a place to sit. Yeah. And as a result, you can, but fortunately, you were friendly people at that time, and they make you sit next to them for the next 10 or 12 hours. So, you know, those are the, the growing pains that we went through. Um, and then you go to university, you went to an Indian school, go to an Indian university, and the first time you work with white people is in 1982 uh, at Deloitte. You know, it's your first interaction with people of a different race, different culture, different backgrounds, which was quite daunting in the first two, three years because you're not used to it. You don't know how to work in that environment and operate with people that grew up in a very different space to you. But uh, we're South African, we're resilient, we make it happen, and uh, it was the beginning of our journey. We're speaking this evening to Osman Arby, the chief executive of Motus, which was spun out of the Imperial Group about two or three years ago. Osman has survived cancer. He survived a stroke. What on earth is he still doing going to the office when your job's trying to kill you? Surely you get a signal. But we'll talk to him more about that and how he makes the trade-off between personal health and being the chief executive of a large listed company. More of that in a moment. The Money Show. Shapeshifters. I also want Osman Arby to answer the question this evening as to what he is reading at the moment. I think a lot of executives do read an awful lot. And so uh, I'm looking forward to finding that out uh, from him before we let him go tonight. You've been quite ill, Osman. I mean, a lot of people having uh, taken six months off to recover from cancer, you've even had a stroke, would say, hold on a second. Perhaps it's time to go and play bowls or garden or play golf or well, you can't go traveling, but you know, plan our travels or something along those lines. What keeps you going to the office each and every single day, despite the health scares you've had? What happened in um, 2018, we were busy preparing Imperial for the unbundling of motors. And uh, I went in for a routine checkup and they picked up colon cancer. And that was on the Tuesday. And I told the guy, look, we're going to a year in. <laughs> and how long was the hot taken? <laughs> could could, could you pause the cancer, please? Yeah. <laughs> so I went in for the op on the Monday, thinking two weeks' time I'll be back, I'll get into the year end and start working on the unbundling. And uh, I went in for the op on the Monday, and the Wednesday I had a stroke. Oh. So uh, by, by the weekend, I was diagnosed to have a stroke, and... Uh, Within 10 days, I came home, couldn't use my right arm or my right leg. So I came, I went walking, I came back in a wheelchair and um, got heavily into physiotherapy, occupational therapy, which my wife assisted me with because she's trained to do occupational therapy. Got a physiotherapist, I started coloring books, 
writing uh, my name 26 times a day, um, playing with uh, price and money and all sorts of things to get the muscles going. And um, I was very privileged at that time that my chairman, Graham Dempster, and our non-executive chairman, Ashi Tuchendorf, kept on visiting me, encouraging me, and telling me that I will get better, it will happen. And uh, in November, within five months, we listed Motus. That was my first outing to the JSE to have Motus listed. And you can imagine that there was so much unfinished business to be done now because I worked very hard with Mark Lamberti to work on the unbundling. Now the unbundling's happened. And unfortunately, I got ill. But that was my motivating factor is to get back into the business to see my benefits of the unbundling and make sure that we grow this business as a model business. And touch wood, I mean, if we look back with COVID, despite that, we still have a business that 17 billion ran in market cap. So uh, the motivation of people, the family, and my personal ability to wanting to get back into the business helped me and God's been great to me. And I got back and uh, yeah, here we are fighting the fight, um, selling vehicles and uh, still continuing to grow shareholder value. I mean, a lot of people would say it's not worth the stress. I mean, we are operating a business in good times is stressful enough. But, you know, no sooner do you get back to work and the unbundling happens, then COVID happens. And uh, what is it, the month of April? Not a single one car was sold, I think, in the whole of South Africa during April last right. year. Um, and it just must have been that level of stress uh, must have been very significant. It was. But by the same token, once you've taken on a challenge, you've got to deliver. And I was very privileged in the group to be working with a young bunch of very agile and entrepreneurial leaders who, in fact, in the last week of March, we had our exco. It was the first time I used Teams because we were in lockdown. And we said, and I, my opening statement to my exco was, this is not accounts 301 or it's not an MBA course. We've got a problem. We've got assets and we will be closed for maybe four weeks, maybe two months. We don't know. But all I can tell you, when we get back, we've got to convert our assets into cash. While we're doing that, please communicate with your people. Look after your people. Talk to your customers. And I was very privileged that they did all that. They continued talking to people. We promised people that they will be paid their full salaries for March and April and May. We talked to customers telling them, don't worry, we will service your cars when you get back. Nothing will expire, your service plans, your maintenance plans. And the minute we opened on the 15th of May, we delivered our first car. So you could see the communication with the people, the communication with our clients was quite key during that period of six weeks where you rightfully say we, have, we didn't sell a car. And the minute we opened, we started selling cars. And then we had to work Saturdays, to get the backlog of servicing cars in. So you could see people were ready to get back. And um, at that time, within four, three or four months, we were virtually at 80% of COVID. So you can see the, the team were motivated. Everyone wanted to get back, talking to customers. And the young team that we've got leading big businesses did a great job. And today, here we sit, and we're virtually at 90% pre-COVID. So... Uh, yeah, I think it's all about people, the assets you sell, and the customers you have. 
if you get and trust, a combination I mean, of the, that three, yeah, I mean, trust is so important, isn't it? I mean, the power of brands and the strength of those relationships, not only at work, but with the customers as well. Uh, people you know, want to know that they can trust that you will be good on your word. And I mean, that's, I think, been pivotal and it's what has differentiated great businesses from decent businesses through this crisis. 100%. Can you imagine people sitting at home worrying because they're not working, so they're worrying? Yeah. Will my car be serviced? My service expired on the... On the 10th of May, will they service my car? We started working with emails and saying, don't worry, we will extend your service plans or maintenance plans or whatever we need to do. We will look after you because you know what's it like. I mean, we live on loyalties of customers. I mean, we're only in business because we have loyal customers and loyal people that work for us. So, I mean, that was a game changer for us to say that if we're loyal to our customers and our staff, we will survive. We fighters, and uh, here we are, 15, 16 months later. Uh, we still have a great business. We virtually at 80, 90 percent pre-COVID, and we have a 17 billion market cap. So, uh, all in all, the team, the customers, and our customers uh, and our suppliers have been very good to us. You know, the the OEMs, the Toyotas, the Hyundai's, and the Kias, Mercedes, BMW, all of them have been very good to us. They gave us extended payments. They uh, allowed us to trade uh, to work our way through cash problems at that time were on our side and uh, you know with their support our staff and our customers uh, yeah we can't complain we came on the right side of the equation what do you do for fun osman um i used to play quite a bit of uh, squash and golf but then you know when you're developing a career and you're working for bill Lynch, the golf went through the window because <laughs> i couldn't afford the five day on a Sunday morning or a Saturday morning. So um, so I stuck to a bit of squash and then I, um, obviously in after the op, I, I had to continue walking. I have to walk about three, four kilometers a day. So I continue with that, spend quality time with my daughters and their children. And uh, unfortunately, I can't say with my extended family because we're not traveling at the moment. They are all in Malanga. So, um, yeah, so it's just spending quality time with my family and friends in Johannesburg. I mean, that's that's what we do. And that's the way to, like you said, we have busy days, but then make sure you relax with quality people that uh, you spend quality time with. Do you read? Are you, a, are you a reader? There's so much of reading to do with the financial mails, um, the financial material that you've got to keep up with. Uh, the board packs, the strategy documents. So uh, that takes a lot of my life, uh, my reading time. Uh, but I enjoy reading books on uh, leadership, uh, managing people. Uh, it's, you know, that because with managing people, you're managing people at very different types in their uh, times in their lives where it's not a, it's a continuous change and you've got to adapt your leading, your leadership all the time, and that's why uh, I read those kind of magazines on leadership and managing people to make sure that I manage people as best as I can in the changing environment that I find myself in. Yeah, constantly changing environment. Osman, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Fascinating insights from you tonight. Thank you for sharing your stories. Osman Arby is the chief executive officer of Motus.